Evidence and Answers. From the outside, it appears to be an Orthodox church. What they believe sounds biblically accurate, but inside, the members are being spiritually abused. Today, a look inside churches that abuse. Thanks for joining us again on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucharin. Dr. Zucharin is an author, scholar, and speaker who addresses today's culture in light of a biblical worldview and offers reasons and evidence supporting the claims of Christ. And be sure you check out resources on everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism at evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. I'm Kevin Harris in studio with Dr. Zucran. Pat, you're going to define for us what you mean by spiritually abusive churches in a moment. But let me ask you, what drew you to this subject? You've written and spoken on it and done some past radio shows on this topic. Why? Yeah, Kevin, you know, that's a great question. You know, we're talking about spiritual abuse or abusive churches, something that may not be familiar to a lot of people, but it is a very common practice here. And I was just surprised. This has been one of the most popular articles and radio shows we have done over the years at Evidence and Answers. I get about several emails a week of people who've read the article and said, I knew something was wrong at my church, wasn't feeling right, I felt manipulated, I felt abused but I just could not put my finger on it. And they keep saying your article really hit the nail right on the head. And so that's one of the things that really stirred me to further study and do this research. And I found out that there are a lot of churches out there who may be orthodox in doctrine, but cultic in their methodology. And you'll be surprised they come from evangelical churches, charismatic churches, conservative churches, and there are many victims of spiritual abuse out there and many leaders who abuse their spiritual authority. And so that's what really motivated me to continue to do research and write on this. And in fact, I even did my master's thesis on one of the biggest groups out there, the International Church of Christ. So uh, it's a real big problem in the body of Christ Well, Pat, you hit on something important when you said that this church or this group could appear otherwise orthodox in its beliefs, but is cultic in the way that it treats its members abusively. So let's just lay it out. What is an abusive church? Well, an abusive church is outwardly orthodox, but their methodology is cultic. There's a very authoritarian kind of leadership that results in really a manipulation of its members and so it's really an abuse of the spiritual authority of the leader there and that results in really you know battered sheep abused sheep who are just burned out or emotionally really hurt over their experience under this particular leader there have been several churches that i worked in where you could consider them to be a mildly abusive And so, you know, the spectrum of abusive churches ranges from mildly abusive to, you know, very strongly abusive. And I I was kind of in a mildly abusive kind of leadership setting in the churches I did my ministry at. Pat, you say that there are all kinds of churches that fit into this category, but you mentioned one in particular, the International Church of Christ. Are they still active today? Do you still run into this group? You know, they are slowly shrinking in membership. But when I did my master's thesis on them, they were some of the biggest college campus movements throughout the country. And as people were discovering their abusive and manipulative practices, several colleges began to ban them from their campuses. 
And as a result of NBC News and ABC News and other mainstream media catching on to them and beginning to do stories on them and hearing the testimonies of the students who are victims of spiritual abuse, they really began to decline in attendance. And when their founding leader stepped down, the movement really began to suffer and it really hasn't had the prominence that it had in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. For a while there, they were everywhere. But the International Church of Christ is indeed one of those churches that you characterize as abusive. Talk some more about some characteristics of an abusive church. I'm just going to list about six or seven characteristics here. First and foremost is there's an authoritarian kind of leadership. Second, there's a manipulation of the members. Tactics are used to manipulate and control members. Third, there's a rigid legalistic code there that you must abide by. And should you not abide by that rigid legalistic code, you often suffer some kind of disciplinary action. Fourth, there's spiritual elitism. This group often describes themselves as maybe the true disciples of Christ or God's green berets. You know, in a way they are somehow the true disciples or the real disciples and followers of Jesus Christ. Then fifth, there's the persecution complex. Because of their cultic methodology, they often come under criticism and they often view that as persecution that the New Testament church faced. So there's a persecution complex there. Then there's a very difficult and painful exit process. Those who leave these kinds of churches, there's a lot of mental, emotional, and spiritual hurt that goes on there. It's a very difficult process because of the manipulation process. They've been isolated from those outside the church, so they find themselves all alone. Often they can be harassed by members of the church as they leave or condemned. So it's a very difficult and painful exit process. And finally, you know, the target age usually is right around 18 through 25. You know, that's when a lot of students are in college and separated from friends and family. And still, they're very impressionable. You know, they're just gaining their independence, but they're still looking for those role models and figuring out what their mission in life will be, looking for that spiritual leader who can give them those kind of answers. And so that target age is right around 18 to 25. So those are some of the characteristics of an abusive church or an abusive kind of ministry. Pat, from hearing you speak on this, it seems that many of these churches hide behind this facade or front of being just really sold out and devoted to Christ. And people who really want to live for the Lord can be attracted to this, and they seem to equate being radical with being righteous. Right. You know, they're calling for an all-out commitment, and they say it's an all-out commitment to Christ, but really it's not a commitment to Christ. It's a commitment to the church or their organization. That's really what they're calling a commitment to, because they see their organization really as... You know, God's true church or God's true organization and salvation is found in connection with this organization. So when they're calling people to this radical commitment, you know, leave your father and mother, take up your cross and follow me. And they're saying, well, don't talk to your mother or father or your former friends. You need to leave them and move into an apartment or our units here. Attend Bible study seven nights a week. We're calling to a radical commitment to Christ. 
No, you're really calling them to a radical commitment to your organization. But that's how they spiritualize the whole thing. It's a very deceptive tactic of manipulation. Well, Pat, you've said that they spiritualize accountability and that the members and the leadership of these groups will just stay on you all the time. I talked to a girl who was a member of the International Churches of Christ, and she said that her disciplers, these other two girls, would call her five, six, seven times a day and and ask her if she sinned, what her sins were. Had she repented? Had she prayed? How many hours of prayer and Bible study had she performed? How many hours of evangelism and recruiting for the group had she done that day? And it was constant. So what's the difference between an abusive accountability and a healthy accountability? Yes, you know, Kevin, you asked a great question. You give a great example. You know, in my research with the International Church of Christ and the numerous people I was able to interview, they all had very similar experiences where an older, supposedly more mature person in the movement was the shepherd of their soul. And they had to report to them two to three times a day, listing intimate details, their sin list, things that they thought about, where they were spending their money, what classes they were taking. And the people that were overseeing them told them detailed aspects of their life. What courses are you going to take? How many times you come into Bible study? We even had testimony of couples who were told, you know, how often they can have sex. People were told what person to date or who not to date. And so detailed aspects of their personal lives were being ordered by their shepherd or their older discipler. That's where you really cross the boundaries here. As being a disciple of Christ, if you have someone who you are discipling in Christ, Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And we're to teach them the Word of God, model to them the Word of God, But the decisions that they make are the decisions of the individual. We don't manipulate their decisions. We don't use tactics of guilt and intimidation to have them conform to a lifestyle that the organization demands. They're free in Christ. Hopefully they'll make wise decisions, but they're free in Christ to make those kinds of personal detailed kinds of decisions. Are abusive churches found in a particular kind of church or denomination? You know, in the research that I did, there's not one particular denomination in which these kinds of churches or ministries flourish. You can find them in almost all the denominations. They can be Baptists. They can be Pentecostal. They can be evangelical. They can be independent Bible churches. So really, the denomination really doesn't matter. But where you have this kind of very authoritarian leadership where they are manipulating and controlling, that's where you've got this kind of situation. And, I, yeah, I found them in numerous kinds of denominations. Pat, it sounds like that not only are the pastors and leaders of these churches abusive, but the members themselves can be abusive. Have you found that to be true? Well, the pastors find members who will you know, follow after him and model themselves right after him. So, yes, he produces these kinds of followers who in turn are taught to use the same methods on those whom they disciple and shepherd. 
Pat, talk to us about the difference between a strong leader and an abusive leader. Well, let me describe to you what we mean by authoritarian leadership. This kind of totalitarian leadership is central to abusive churches, and these kind of leaders are very dogmatic in their teaching, very strong personality, and powerful influences on their followers. And these kind of leaders use their spiritual authority to intimidate their followers. The concept here is that the leaders are seen as more spiritual and know God's will better than others. You often hear the phrase, God speaks to me and I present God's message to the people. Therefore, the leader cannot be questioned. To question him is equal to questioning God. That's what you'll often hear. And you'll often hear 1 Samuel 26, 11 quoted, you know, lift not your hand against the Lord's anointed. So to question the leader's decision is equal to questioning God. And often these kinds of leaders will use this type of terminology regarding themselves and make you think that questioning them is equal to questioning God. So that's the difference between an abusive leader and a strong leader. A strong leader may have strong vision and he is very persuasive in his speech, but he doesn't mind being questioned by his men, especially his close men, and he is not afraid to give good answers for the reasons he's doing what he's doing. But in this kind of totalitarian leadership system, they don't want to be questioned. To question them is equal to questioning God. They'll make life decisions for their followers. Their followers often become dependent upon the leaders for life decisions. And another key aspect is that these kinds of leaders are often accountable to no one. God speaks to them, and they're accountable to God alone. Or in some kinds of congregational-led churches where you have to have a board of deacons or board of elders, often these men will select people whom they know, their close friends whom they know, will agree with them on every decision that they make and back them up no matter what he may say or do. So really, there's really no accountability for these kinds of leaders. And so that's what we mean when we talk about an authoritarian or spiritually abusive leader. And that's the difference between that kind of leader and just a strong pastor or a strong leader of a ministry. Pat, in your research, did you run into pastors or leaders who used that verse that David said to Saul to touch not God's anointed? I mean, that's a conversation stopper right there. You can question the leader's authority and they say the Bible says touch not God's anointed and that settles it. Right. You know, that's an abuse of that passage there. In that passage, David had an opportunity to kill Saul. That's different from confronting someone on a issue of sin or just questioning why are we doing what we're doing in second samuel you see nathan rebuking david for his sin well david was god's anointed one yet nathan had the authority according to god's word to rebuke god's anointed david on the sin that he committed and believers have that authority according to God's word that we are to hold one another accountable. Also in Galatians chapter 2, Paul rebuked Peter. Peter, the leader of the apostles, had fallen into heresy and Paul, right to his face, rebuked Peter. Paul also in the book of Acts applauded the Bereans who searched the scriptures to confirm what Paul was teaching was indeed consistent with God's Word. 
And so good leaders don't mind people asking good questions and confirming with God's word the decisions that are made. So that's different from an authoritarian leader who will quote this passage from 1 Samuel saying, touch not the Lord's anointed, meaning don't criticize, don't even question what I'm saying. Uh, That's not a biblical model of leadership. Pat, I wonder what kind of people perhaps gravitate toward an abusive church, an abusive situation or relationship. Yeah, well, often I find it's young 18 to 25-year-olds, very idealistic, well-intended kind of young people who really want to do something significant for the Lord. And often they find their church to be lackadaisical or lacking in vision or mission. And here comes a ministry. You've got a charismatic leader. And when you first get in, it appears, you know, that the followers are very committed to Christ. And so they're attracted by the commitment, the sense of mission, things that the people are doing. They seem to be more committed than maybe what they were used to. Also, in several of these churches, you know, the people are really more than exerted. They're forced to welcome newcomers and go out and recruit newcomers. And so, They make a big point of being friendly and welcoming and inviting. So very strong kind of evangelistic approach that they use here. Also, in several of the churches I researched, you know, you take a young person who's in college and you say, hey, you don't have to pay for room and board. I'll tell you what, move into our apartments and we'll take care of you. You know, and that's very attractive to young people. Hey, you know, I don't have to pay for room and board, just my two. All right, you know. And so these churches will take them in and move them into their apartments. But really, that's another manipulation tactic to get them dependent on the organization. But often young, idealistic people searching for an identity, searching for a mission and a vision in life. Often, initially, they're attracted to these kinds of organizations. Yeah, that's what scares me is that I think any of us could be drawn into a situation like this. Uh, A person wants to sell out to the Lord and give their all to Christ and encounters a group that, by all appearances, is doing that. And you may think, well, they're a little hardcore, but they're doing it for the Lord, so it must be okay. Pat, give us some more of those manipulation tactics. Right, you know, and so you need to look out for these signs that... I was talking about when you see these tactics of manipulation, a strong authoritarian kind of leader, you talk to ex-members. Here's some of the tactics that are used to bring followers into total submission to the organization. You're constantly taught no questioning of the leaders. You're not to question the leaders when they rebuke you or correct you or make decisions for you. Often there's the use of guilt or pressure and intimidation to get you to conform to the standards of the organization. And if you're not towing the line, you may find yourself in some kind of disciplinary action to get you to conform to the standards of the church. Often conditional love is practiced. If you're conforming and performing according to their standards, man, they love you. They'll shower you with encouragement. When you are not, you'll find that they withdraw that kind of support from you. Another one is harsh discipline. In several of these churches, the person was all alone and he was being rebuked and put down by his two disciples. And if he wasn't listening to them, then he had to go in, you know, to a dark room in front of a half circle of elders 
who also berated him. It's a very intimidating thing for a young person to sit in front of these kinds of elders. Threats of divine judgments are used. Scriptures are taken out of their context to threaten individuals. Another tactic is isolation. In a particular group, I was saying they wanted the people to be at Bible study seven days a week, along with their outreaches and meeting with their disciples and all of that. And if their parents or someone wanted to see them, well, the church took priority over that. And if the parents were critical or negative of the organization, they told them, don't see your parents anymore. The Bible says, you must hate your father, mother, brother, and sister, take up your cross and come follow me. So therefore, don't talk to them anymore. And so they're isolated. Everyone they know is in that organization and they become dependent on that, not only for encouragement, but fellowship and friendship as well. And there's often the control of information flow. You can read this or don't watch these channels, don't watch the news. There's a control of information flow. And as a result of these manipulation tactics, you often see a change in the personality of the person and a loss of individual identity. Their personality may change and as they conform to the image of the organization, and they begin to act and talk just like the other people in the organization. They, they kind of become like a clone. And that's pretty dangerous. That's one of the characteristics of a mind control organization. And it's unhealthy to see a person's personality change. A person, as he grows and matures in Christ, becomes more like Christ. But his basic personality, that's inborn. That doesn't change. So if they're outgoing when they come to Christ, they'll still be outgoing and gregarious. If they're quiet and shy, as they'll come to Christ, hopefully they'll open up more. But they'll still be a quiet person. But you don't want to see all of a sudden a, a totally different kind of personality change. That's not healthy. But that's the result of these kinds of manipulation tactics. That earlier you gave us some scriptures that depict good, healthy leadership. Give us some more scriptures that we can use to avoid abusive churches or to prevent our own churches from becoming abusive. Well, one of the things to be careful of, Kevin, is that these churches have a works-oriented gospel message or works-oriented kind of soteriology. You know, John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. But often what these churches teach is that, well, if you don't conform to the standards of our church, you know, you're going to lose your salvation. So in order to be saved, you have to meet these standards. I know when I studied an abusive organization, in order to be saved, you needed to be baptized in their church. Well, in order to be baptized, you needed to show yourself to be a worthy disciple. And who would be the judge of that? Well, your discipler. And so you had to show that you're a worthy disciple before you could get baptized in the church. Well, that's a works-oriented kind of gospel. And then after you were baptized and, quote, saved, you had to maintain your salvation by showing your commitment to the organization. And should you falter, then you could lose your salvation. So it becomes a works-oriented kind of soteriology or salvation message. And so that's one sign you want to be aware of. But then biblical leadership exemplifies the love and grace of Jesus Christ. You know, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, for my burden is easy, 
You know, and my yoke is light. If you find yourself weighed down, having to perform to meet the standards of an organization, tired, weary, burned out, well, that's a sign there that, that you may be in an abusive situation. Matthew chapter 20, verses 24 through 27, Jesus states, the mother of James and John comes and kneels before Christ. And she said, well, can you have my son sit at your left and why don't you write in when your kingdom comes? And Jesus says, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So you see the servant model given by Jesus Christ. You know, in John 13, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Another great passage is 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Peter states this. He says, I exhort you, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elders, a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And so biblical leadership is not an authoritarian, domineering kind of leadership, but it's a servant kind of leadership, as Peter talked about here and exemplified by Jesus Christ. Pat, I know that you have resources on this topic. Point us to those. Yeah, probably the best place is at evidenceandanswers.org to go and read my brief article on abusive churches. And that's a great place to start. And if you're church or organization seems to fit these characteristics, you know, that's a good way to identify whether you're in a healthy or an unhealthy kind of ministry situation. And then there's a great book by Ron Enroth called Churches That Abuse. That's a great book to read on this whole topic. You know, there's some good websites out there as well. Evidenceandanswers.org, the ministry that uh, I work with, Probe Ministries. That's another great resource. And there's another one for spiritual abuse called batteredsheep.org. And so those are some great resources and places where you can start researching this kind of information. Again, Dr. Zucran has resources on this very topic and many more. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism. Find past shows, books, articles, interviews with experts, and more when you go to evidenceandanswers.org. Check out our resources and updates often at evidenceandanswers.org. Like so many ministries, we depend on listener support and the blessing of your financial gift to help keep us on the air and to help keep Pat speaking all over the world, defending the Christian faith and answering the tough questions. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerin. Wake up.